Welcome, Mosaic. So glad to see you tonight. Thank you for choosing to worship with us tonight. Will you please stand and let's lift our praises to our God. And 
His mercies are new every morning. Man, that's such good news to the people who believe in Jesus. Amen? Amen. You can take a seat. Hey, family, my name is Scott Jones. If I don't know you, I'd love to. I am the student team leader here at Fellowship Mosaic, and we just finished a very awesome long June of high school ministry, and it was the best. If you want to see the Holy Spirit like alive and thriving right now, you got to come lead in the student ministry. It's like contagious and it's electric what God is doing in the midst of their community. Come ask us. I'd love to tell you stories. Um, I just have one really quick announcement and it's the community board. We talked about it last week. It's out in the lobby. You can't miss it. The point of the community board is just to provide opportunities, organic, simple opportunities for us to be in community this summer. So like put up something or post something on the board that you love to do, what you're doing, the time, the place that you do it, your phone number, your name, and that will allow someone else to be able to contact you and say, hey, I want to join you on your run today. Or I want to join you on your bike ride. Can I? Or, hey, I'd love to come over and crochet. I don't know if anyone put that on the community board. Um, also, there's a lot of stuff on the community board from last week that people have already put up. Um, so maybe it's not going and putting something up, but rather going and looking at what's there. And jotting down some names and some numbers of some people that you would like to join. Um, we would just love for there to be stories, like really simple, awesome stories of God moving in relationship um, in our body this summer. So join us in doing that, okay? We are about to do a prayer pause. It is our first week of um, the month, and so that's prayer pause week. And Tom Toomer, our prayer team leader at Fellowship Mosaic, is here to lead our prayer pause tonight. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Well, good evening. Can I invite us to just take a deep breath and maybe three, just relax and breathe deeply. And as you breathe in, invite Jesus, invite the Holy Spirit, invite Father to meet with you tonight. And I want to encourage you to continue to, um, to just breathe deeply throughout the time. And Father, as we enter this time with you now, we do. We want to pause to be still. To breathe slowly. And to recenter our scattered senses on you. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, who are here, who love us, who want us to hear from you and encounter you tonight. And so we join you in that. Well, we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer over the last several weeks, or several months, I should say. And um, so I'm going to ask you, we're going to put it up on the, uh, the, the slide 
And I want you to just read through it slowly. There's some stuff in italics. Well, I guess it's not in italics on this, but just in the brackets. And just read this thing slowly, and then I'll focus on the last one. The context of Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of God looks like. And the kingdom of God, in one sense, is the reign and rule of God in me first and through me. And so, as we look at the verse um, that's highlighted, don't let us be led into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. God invites us to find um, rescue from the temptations. It's interesting, in Matthew 26, 41, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he makes an incredibly bold statement. He says, keep watching and praying so that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I believe Jesus is giving us a strong promise. If we will watch And if we will pray, we can defeat temptation. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, I'm just going to invite us. We're going to put the next slide up. And I want you to just, um, if you would, kneel before God, if you're able. And I want you to ask him, Lord, are there one or two temptations that I am especially aware of at this point? So I'd invite us to kneel. And just humble ourselves before God tonight. And just to quietly ask Him, Lord, are there one or two temptations? Perhaps impatience, anger, lust, comparison, critical spirit. What would God name to you? And then I want you to just name that back to God. God, I name this to you and I agree. Would you rescue me from that? And as Jesus invited us to do, watch, keep alert. And so we've got to be aware of what's going on in our lives, don't we? And then we need to be praying. So I would like to just lead us in a prayer. And I'm going to let you fill in the blank. God, I acknowledge to you, blank, my temptation. Would you make me aware of when I'm being tempted in that. And then by your help, would you help me to say no? So take some time.
Now we'd like to invite you to turn to somebody next to you, if you would like, and just quickly name that temptation. Hey, here's, here's one of the things God brought to mind. Would you pray for me? So go ahead and do that. borders in your love.
Embracing the poor. Sing it with me. Good news, embracing the poor. Comfort for all those who mourn. For the brokenhearted. Sing louder. Release from prison and shame. Oppression turning to praise.
become the light that shines in us. There's no darkness in your way, so have your way. Lord, have your way. Before we pass the plates for our offering, time of gratitude to worship the Father together in that way. Let's read this prayer together. O Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen. You 
sing that verse one more time. We're going to repeat it. We are um, in the passage tonight about the woman at the well when Jesus encounters her at noon and speaks directly to her in the light of her sin. And we see this like incredible life change happen. Um, it's a really cool story of um, how, how scary it can be, maybe how intense it can be to encounter the Lord because of what it means to our comforts or our pleasures, you know, but yet how incredibly comforting it also is, outrageously comforting to encounter the Lord because of the healing and the peace, eternal healing and eternal peace that he brings. Um, so picture this next, or picture the verse again, maybe in light of the story or um, through the vantage point of the woman at the well, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene man speaking to me, the man who knew my sin, the man who promises me living water, amazed in his presence. Let's sing it again.
his good news. Fellowship family, it's good to see you guys. My name is Desiree Weber, and I'm married to Steve, and we have three kids who have all grown up at Fellowship, and I'm just thankful to be with you guys tonight. I know Scott mentioned serving in youth. I get to serve in kindergarten, which is a pretty big party as well, so y'all should join us there sometime. Um, I get the privilege of reading God's true word tonight, and we're looking at John 4, Verses 7 through 15. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and who drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And all God's people said, Thank you, Desiree. Thank you, worship team. Well, it was my junior year of college, and I had drifted into what you could call a reckless lifestyle that was fairly typical for a University of Arkansas fraternity guy. I was drinking in excess, 
moving from party to party, living a self-centered, unholy, and unbridled lifestyle. And it led me to the bottom of the pit. I was dissatisfied. I was discontent in life. I remember one particular Sunday afternoon. It was well into the afternoon and I was still in bed, hungover from a long fall football weekend. I had engaged in sin and excess. And I was thirsty. Literally dehydrated from the previous night's Activities, but it wasn't just a physical thirst. My physical thirst was mirroring a different kind of longing within me. Deep down in my heart, deep down at the, the core of my soul, I was thirsty. Thirsty for meaning in life. Thirsty for direction. I hungered for peace, and I was wondering if there was more to this life than I was experiencing. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've become dissatisfied by the pursuits of this world. Maybe you found yourself lacking peace or searching for meaning in life. And for me, it was at that point, literally that day, that I began my spiritual journey of searching to find the Lord. And it was that day that one of my fraternity brothers knocked on my door and invited me to a Bible study where I could come and find something to satisfy my thirst. Hey, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of John. Uh, tonight, we're going to hear a similar story. Our Bible passage is going to tell us the story of a woman who had a thirsty soul. We're continuing in our John series. We've been there since Easter. We're in the final section of a three-part series studying this New Testament narrative. We first studied the seven I am statements found in the book. Then we moved to the seven miracles or the seven signs contained in John's gospel. And now we're in week two of our final section. We're studying seven life-changing encounters that Jesus had with various people in the book. And each story records for us a life-change story. Last week, Nick kicked off the series, and it was Nick on Nick. Nick Rowland teaching on Nicodemus. Tonight, we're going to have our second encounter. It's Jesus having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. The setting is a well, a place to draw water, a place that provides relief, a place of life enrichment. And it's there that Jesus will talk to this woman, this woman at the well, and he's going to teach her how to quench the thirst that lies deep down in the heart of every person. You know, it's interesting that John recorded these two life-changing encounters back to back in his gospel because you couldn't find two people who were more different than Nicodemus recorded in John chapter three and the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well recorded in John chapter four. Well, how were they different? Well, he was a male and she was a female. He was a Jew and she was 
a Samaritaner. You might even call her a half-breed. He was respected. He was a religious leader. He was well-educated. He had a moral lifestyle. He was at the top of society, and she was considered an outcast, rejected, uneducated, sinful, even considered to be at the bottom of society. Nicodemus sought Jesus. If you remember, he came to Jesus at night with a theological question. The woman was sought by Jesus. And while they were both very different, they had one thing in common. They both desperately needed the Lord. And John made a point that we all need to hear. Whether you're at the top of society or the bottom, whether you're male or female, whether you're morally upright or you're wayward, whether you're a church member or you don't trust the church, we all need Jesus. You need him and I need him. It's something that we all have in common. Even though we're all different, we come from different places, we um, engage in different things in life, we share this, that we're created to be in a relationship with the Father through the person and the work of his son, Jesus Hey, let's dig into the story. John chapter four, verse one. It reads this way. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, referencing John the Baptist. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Jesus was attracting negative attention because of his popularity. And the religious leaders of the day wanted to stir up controversy. And Jesus wanted to distance himself from that. He wanted no part of it and did not want to engage them. And so he left. He left Jerusalem. He left Judea in the south. And he moved back towards Galilee in the north. And on his way, he's going to stop at a place called Sychar. You can note that that's in Samaria, which is in the middle of Judea and Galilee. Now, normally a Jewish person, a devout Jew, would not even travel through Samaria. They despised the Samaritans. They would either take the western route along the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea or the eastern route through the Jordan Valley, but rarely would they take the central route through Samaria. Why is that? Well, it goes all the way back to the Assyrian captivity back in 700s BC when the Assyrians deported some of the Jewish people and they imported people from around the world that they had in captivity. And when they were imported, these foreigners into Samaria, many of the Samarians intermarried with them and commingled their religion. And so these half-breeds, these commingled syncretists were despised by the pure Jews. And so a rabbi like Jesus would have been expected to even go around the territory so that he wouldn't have to interact. So why did Jesus take the central route? Look at verse four. It says that he had to go through Samaria. Well, it wasn't a navigational necessity. He could have gone a different route. It was a divine leading. Jesus was compelled to go this way. Why? Because he had a divine appointment. 
He was intentionally seeking a life-changing conversation with a thirsty soul. He had an encounter that would have heavenly, eternal ramifications. And it would be a conversation that would not only change the life of one person, but it would enable him to reach an entire city of people who had been rejected by the Jewish culture with the gospel. Some Bible commentators have gone as far as labeling this passage that we're reading tonight as Jesus' mission to Samaria. Look at verse 5. It says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Jesus stopped at the well, the well of the patriarch, his ancestor Jacob. And after much travel, he needed a drink. Jesus, in his humanity, he was weary, and he was tired, and he was thirsty. The well was located at the base of Mount Gerizim in the dry and arid land of Canaan. So this well was a source of life. It was an essential part of the food chain. Without it, the livelihood of those nearby would have been threatened. And in this place, this life-enriching, life-giving place where the physical reality of the need for water was ever present, it would take on a deeper meaning, a spiritual meaning. Jesus, the living water, would interact with a woman who had a thirsty soul. Her physical thirst would be transcended by her heart thirst. Now, maybe you've seen the television series, The Chosen. Anybody familiar? Not asking for your approval. Or your recommendation, just if you've seen it. And while The Chosen isn't the Bible, can we all acknowledge that? I think that it has some interesting takes on particular passages. And I think this is one of them. So let's look at their interpretation of Jesus speaking with this thirsty woman. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. 
Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. It's still like a drink of water, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. Back to the text. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John adds parenthetically, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus engaged this woman and in doing so crossed social barriers that normally would have prevented this encounter from ever occurring. For a rabbi would not talk to a woman who was not his spouse in public. And a Jew would not talk to a Samaritan, for they were despised. And a self-righteous person would not talk to a known sinner. Yet Jesus crossed all of these boundaries and intentionally engaged this woman. He did not abide by the social norms of the day. He did not alter his behavior because he feared what others might think. And he did not yield to any apprehension that he might have felt in his humanity. He was on a mission a mission to win the soul of a desperate woman. And to do so, he crossed these social boundaries without hesitation and without restraint. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a world right now that loves its social boundaries. And we'll take anything that could be different with another person, a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, and we'll make it into a wall. And I think we could use a few people who are willing to cross social boundaries to show love, don't you? 
People who are willing to cross social, racial, political, and religious boundaries instead of reinforcing them. And Jesus modeled for us here that he was willing to ignore cultural expectations to just love people, even people who lived and believed differently than he did. Well, the woman questioned him, how can you ask me for a drink? Bible commentators note that there is some surprise, even amazement in the woman's request of Jesus. She was shocked by his willingness to interact with her. Other Bible commentators note that there's a little negativity in her statement. They see a little attitude in her tone. Oh, I see. Because you've become thirsty and don't have a jar, now you're willing to talk to one of us Samaritans. I see both practicality and intentionality in Christ asking her for a drink. A, he was thirsty and he didn't have a jar. But B, it was a way for him to find common ground with someone who was very different from him. They had one thing in common. It was hot and they were thirsty. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her question with a clue to his true identity. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God who, and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus acknowledged that from an earthly perspective, it was very odd that he was asking her for a drink, but she didn't know how odd it truly was. He said, if you knew, if you only knew who you were talking to, if she knew who he really was, if she knew that she stood in the presence of not just a Jewish traveler and not just a prophet or a rabbi, but in the very presence of God, if she knew that he could satisfy the thirst of her soul, if she knew that the source of life, the pathway to eternity was in her midst, but she didn't know and she didn't realize that the gift of God was asking her for help, that the source of living water was asking for a drink, that the one who existed before Abraham and before Jacob stood before her as a weary traveler. But at this point, she was clueless. She didn't realize who she was talking to. But if she only knew. You know, I wonder if God ever thinks the same thing about us. If you only knew. If you only knew that the very things that you work for and hope for and pay for and strive for will only leave you thirsty. If you only knew that the, the only one who can truly satisfy the thirst of your soul, your soul stands with arms wide open and says, come to me, all you who are weary and in need of rest. Come to me and I will satisfy that thirst that you have deep within you. Well, the woman asked a second question. Where can I get this living water? And she reminded him that he didn't even have a jar. 
It was at this point that Jesus crossed over from the immediate physical context to the spiritual context. And he let her know that he was not talking about the water and the well. Look at verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will come within them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus revealed to her that he was talking about a different water. He was transitioning from the immediate context, the well, the jar, physical thirst, to a spiritual context. He was moving from the concrete to the abstract. And he had water, spiritual nourishment that could bring contentment and satisfaction and peace. Water that could quench that thirst that all of us have deep down in our heart and our soul. He has water that can truly satisfy for all eternity. He could give us a well that would give us satisfaction and peace and contentment forever. Now, of course, the woman was interested in this water. She said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water from this well. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. She still didn't get it, so he got to the heart of the matter. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. And she told him eagerly, I'll take some of that water, still thinking of the immediate physical context. But she couldn't clue into his illustrative language, so Jesus took a different approach. He revealed her thirst in her heart. He uncovered her need. He cut to the heart of the issue that this woman, he said, the life you're living, the choices that you've made, your attempt to find contentment and meaning and satisfaction are ineffective and inappropriate you're drinking from the wrong source. You're seeking value and security and peace by moving from man to man in immorality. He revealed the sinful and regretful way that the woman was living. He uncovered her heartache and pointed out that she was seeking to find satisfaction in the wrong place. Aren't you glad that we're not like that? Of course we are. Like the woman, we've all been guilty of the same thing. Trying to find peace and contentment in some earthly pursuit or possession. Seeking to find satisfaction in a substance or a habit or a hobby. Trying to find uh, true happiness in accumulation of money or possessions. Trying to find self-worth in achievement or success. Trying to numb ourselves or distract ourselves with sex or entertainment. The prophet Jeremiah said this about us trying to satisfy our thirst. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See, I think we're all guilty of it. I think at times we've all tried to satisfy the longings of our heart outside of God's will. We turn away from the true source. We try to find contentment at other places. And we take a sinful approach to a holy pursuit 
to find peace and purpose in this life. And we just end up being thirsty. Well, after Jesus supernaturally perceived her spiritual disposition, the woman tried to change the subject. She said, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I've had this actually happen to me before. In the context of evangelism, with misty eyes before me, somebody says, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? Or when do you think Jesus is coming back? Or do you believe in the gift of, of speaking in tongues? It's a theological curveball to get away from the personal issues of the gospel. Well, Jesus engages. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Seems like the woman didn't want to carry on a conversation about her personal life. And in her redirection, Jesus answered her. Where is the proper place of worship? Jews say Jerusalem, Samaritans say here. Which is it? Jesus said neither. Worship is not location driven. It's spirit driven. And he goes on, look at verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Oh, she's about to realize that one. Yet a time is coming and has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. True worship is not found in the formulas of our fathers, but in a relationship with God. True worship is a, a heart connection to the Father by the Spirit through the Son. It's founded on the truths of the scriptures and empowered by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus not only revealed these theological truths to her, but he also revealed his true identity. This is the apex. This is the climax of the story, an epic moment in the scriptures. The woman said, I know, I know. Messiah will come. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus looked at her and declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. While her life seemed distant from the Lord, the woman still held hope and faith in a coming Messiah. And her confession revealed that she still held on to this ancient promise of a coming deliverer. And Jesus honored her fragile and modest faith by revealing his true identity to her. He said, that day you speak of, the long-awaited coming day of the Messiah, that day is here, I am he, the promised one, the son of David, the savior. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And having proven himself through both word and deed, he made his messianic declaration. And in this revelation at Jacob's well, Jesus was inviting her to faith, to believe in the Lord and the one he sent to leave her sin and shame, to drink from the well of living water, to worship him, to satisfy her soul for all eternity. He was inviting her to come into relationship with the Savior, 
to come to the person of Jesus. Author Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, said it really beautifully. He said, we do not come to a set of doctrines. We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All of these are vital. But most truly, we come to a person, to Christ himself. When it's all said and done, it's about you and Jesus. It isn't about your religious resume or your church membership or which doctrinal camp you most closely align with. In the end, there's only Christ. And your relationship to him is the only metric. So let me pause right here. And I want to invite you to come to Jesus. If you find that the things of this world fall short in satisfying the thirst of your soul, maybe you need to come into an authentic and genuine relationship with the one who created your soul. Jesus said this in John 7. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever what? Believes in. As scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So whether you're at the top of the social strata or the bottom, whether you're morally upright or you're caught in a web of sin, whether you have your beliefs all buttoned up or you still have a lot of theological questions, this is true. We all desperately need Jesus, and that includes you and me. We all have thirsty souls. Psalm 42 describes us perfectly. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for the living God. So do you know him? Do you know the genuine and authentic Christ? Do you have an intimate and personal relationship with him? It's more than attending church. It's more than token affiliation with Christianity. It's intimate. It's personal. Well, how do you come to know Christ? Well, there's a leaving and there's a joining. There's a turning away from sin and self. And there's turning to the person and the work of Jesus on the cross. There's repentance. And there's profession. And I found it's best to do that in the context of prayer. Would you bow with me in prayer right now? And if you know Jesus, this is the perfect opportunity to affirm your faith in him. And if you don't, if you don't genuinely know the Lord, then why not right now confess your sin and tell him that you believe in what he's done for you on the cross? His death for your life. Would you pray with me? And in the quiet of your heart, between you and him, thank him for your salvation or ask him to be your savior. Maybe your divine appointment is here tonight. If you don't know him, Confess that you're a sinner and ask him for forgiveness. And now proclaim your faith in him as the one and only God. 
who died on the cross, was resurrected from the grave, and will come again one day. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the Savior of our soul. And Lord, for those who believe, we affirm that and express our gratefulness. And for those who maybe tonight express that for the first time, I pray that you would receive them, forgive them, and welcome them into your family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to see in the remainder of the passage. Is there something that happens to us when we find the true source of satisfaction in life? When our thirsty souls are finally quenched with true and living water, that a satisfied soul leads others to the source. Because after her life-changing encounter with Jesus, the woman at the well immediately recruited others to come and hear from the teacher. Back to the story, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the long-awaited and promised Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Having believed in Jesus, the woman who was just evangelized became an evangelist. Having experienced renewal, she began to share her excitement and persuade others to follow Jesus. And she was effective. Skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him. And Jesus stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And now we see why Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was on a mission to save a city full of outcast people. And of all people, he used the woman at the well, a Samaritan, a sinner as his missionary. And look at the results. A satisfied soul leads others to the source. So for those of you who know Jesus, who've responded to his invitation, we are called to lead others to the Savior. This woman set for us an example. We are tasked with proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We've been commissioned to take the gospel across the street and across the world. So when's the last time that you shared Jesus? When's the last time you invited someone to Mosaic? When's the last time your community group put out an empty chair? I want us to close with prayer. Would you stand with me? At Fellowship Rogers, where I work, and at Mosaic, we've been given a gift when the Bentonville people went north. The gift are all around you, empty chairs. Now you may have been tempted to have a negative attitude about the empty chairs. Why did they go to Bentonville? Or why did they go here? Why? Empty chairs. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, 
but we've got crowded highways. Anybody? Has anybody actually said, I wish people would stop moving here? Put the two together. Crowded streets and empty chairs. Can you do the math? What an opportunity we have before us to lead others to the source of life. So would you put your eyes or your hands on one of these chairs right now and pray for someone that you live around, work around, or that you engage in recreation with and pray, Lord, who do you want me to invite to come and hear about Jesus? Let's pray. Lift up those names to the Lord. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Lord, for these souls, we pray that they would find true life in you. Amen. Church, celebrate this. We proclaim. Go on and scream it from the mountain. Go on and tell it to. 
make that our heart tonight. Jesus, come on. Shout it. Go on and scream it from the us confidence, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us courage and peace about the name of Jesus. Blessed is the man or woman who cries cross, cross to a world who needs the cross. Help us to proclaim you with boldness, Lord. We love you. We love your presence. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen. Hey, thanks for worshiping with us, family. Um, There will be some prayer team folks on the walls. If you would like to be prayed with, please go ask one of them or ask a neighbor next to you. If you're new, find someone to introduce yourself to or go out to the info booth in the foyer. We'd love to know you. Um, Hey, have an awesome week. We'll see you next week.